Are you a senior level executive with a growth mindset, ready to grasp the new opportunities and solve the issues that are holding you back? If so, welcome to our podcast, Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. With personal experience as a CEO of more than 10 companies and 15 boards of directors, Jim shares his insights into optimal leadership philosophies, practices, and ways to accelerate growth and elevate your company value. Now, onto the show. Welcome to Into the C-Suite. This is the first episode with your host, Jim Casino. I'm Patrice Sikora, and I really enjoy these inaugural podcasts because here we will learn about Jim from Jim. And of course, let's start at the beginning. Jim, how did you get into the business? Oh, my. Good question, Patrice. Actually, it's probably the answer is how did the business get into me? I've been in business for years and years and love doing business, general management, advisory work. And when I completed my last assignment, I decided to open up my own business for the second time. I've had a management consultancy previously over a six-year period, very successfully, and then joined a client at their request to help them on uh, a permanent assignment for a while. But when I completed that assignment, I said, let's do something that I know I love, I'm really good at, and bring along with me others who I know are true professionals and outstanding in their chosen areas of expertise as well. And so we started the company in April, right at the beginning of the pandemic of 2020. And uh, today, it's, it's doing quite well, actually. We're very excited about the progress. That was a heck of a time to start a business, though. Well, it was and it wasn't. It really, in many respects, was the optimal time to start a business because everybody, the entire economy was thrown into a mad dash of what's the new reality mm-hmm. and how do we manage around these pandemic issues. Uh, so it was really a wonderful time to start the business. And I think uh, our progress reflects that. Okay. Uh, so who is it that you work with now? What clients? What type of clients? Well, we target specifically three types of clients. Revenues generally go from $2 million at the small end up to around $200 million. And we focus on three different niches. Uh, We do mainly uh, growth-oriented middle market companies. Then we do early stage companies. And we also do a few startups along the way. That's where over the years, and I've worked in both Fortune 500 and startups and all these kind of things, actually started my own business, which I'm doing here again, (laughs) really concluded over my career that that's where I love to spend my energy. You see immediate results. You don't need to worry about bureaucracy. You get right to the heart of issues, you deal with them, and you see performance gains very, very rapidly. We've built a company here that has targeted the part of business that is most joyful to me and my uh, associates. All right, but now let's get down into it. What do you do? C-Suite Advisors provides CEOs and their direct reports, other senior executives, really expert guided experienced analysis. We do deep discovery on their issues and help them arrive at really powerful insights, which result in more impactful decisions and better results. We're really a very highly experienced and skilled at helping clients focus, understand, and resolve their most important issues, their opportunities, and their challenges in dealing with them. 
Tell me about your ecosystem, because you keep talking about the people that you work with, but I know it's more than just a staff. Tell me about this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually an interesting structure we put in place. Uh, C-Suite Advisors is at this moment a sole proprietorship. I built it. I own it. I'm the founder of it. But I realized as I was building the business that today's middle market growth-oriented CEOs are facing so many unique challenges that they've never faced before that they there would likely be needs for uh, services that I would not be comfortable giving myself. In other words, I have some very highly skilled levels of experience in a number of broad array of areas. But somebody at some point is going to say, I need help in this area. What I've done is we're bringing together outstanding professionals in different skill areas or functional expertise that are able to meet those needs with clients should a client have those needs. And that also prevents me from trying to do something I'm not. So I focus my energies on the things I know I'm experienced and good in where I have specific skills and I bring in other experts to deal with those com- those issues as clients may have that I'm not prepared to deal with. All right. And you told us about what you do, but who is your ideal client? The ideal client is a CEO of a driven organization that is facing new and different issues and struggling with their own bandwidth and comfort with their capacity to deal with those issues. That sounds a little complex. It's really not because what I just described is every CEO in the country <laughs> today. Everybody is facing issues that they're, they've never faced before. The advantage of working with C-suite advisors is, first off, there's nobody that would support our clients that has not successfully served in the C-suite. None of us. All of our people are top flight, very experienced, and all of them have spe- specific, excuse me, Uh, specialties or skills that make the total, the holistic company of C-suite advisors really quite powerful and capable. Uh, Unlike many of the larger consultancies out there, you're not sold by a person who is at the top of the heap and then serviced by the minions way down the line. With C-suite advisors, you're always working with a successful C-suite executive. All right. How do you find your clients? That's good news and bad news. The good news is all of my clients to date are referrals. They're referrals from happy clients from my other existence and work and uh, social connections, people who have great belief in what we can do and me and my colleagues' abilities to do that for them. So it's all referrals. I say it's a double-edged sword, though, because uh, we really want to grow more and broader and faster into other markets that we have the ability to serve in. And since it's a new business, all new businesses looking, are looking for revenue and, and growth opportunities. That said, it's really important to know, Patrice, that we only take a small number of clients. And unlike a lot of consultancies, when we are approached to do work or we find somebody who needs work that has an interest, it's as much a mutual decision as it is a one-way decision. And a lot of companies, they'll take anything that comes in the door, but that's not our ambition and it's not our approach. We are very careful about assuring that we can add great value at an affordable and wonderful price 
and that we will help those CEOs and C-suite executives have results that they had looked for and didn't know how to get to. Is there any kind of client education that you find yourself doing, Jim? Actually, there is. We don't charge for it, but we do a lot of it. One of our unique skill sets is the ability to do what we describe as a Socratic deep dive or self-discovery for our clients. To prepare them for that, which is quite unique for most, they've never had anything like it or faced anything like it before, we need to prepare them for that. As an example, many CEOs, which are completely comfortable giving direction, talking about vision, making decisions day in, day out, day in, day out, are not as comfortable getting candid feedback, getting direct information about what their market, their people, or myself could observe or see in their behaviors or styles. And so the education process that all of our clients receive is candor, empathy, and a complete uh, disclosure of what this process is going to be like when you work with us. We've discovered, Patrice, that by approaching it that way, we will weed out those CEOs that may not have a tolerance for this kind of feedback loop. And we will, at the same time, create a very clear expectation of what this is going to be like. When we're at our best, we are challenging CEOs and other C-suite executives to think differently, to dig deeper, to work with root causes, not surface causes. That's all a part of the education process. Okay. Jim, what do you do in the community? Is there any volunteer work you do? Yeah, actually, I do a lot of volunteer work. I'm very committed to helping others. On the business side, I have recently uh, become involved with the Arizona Commerce Authority, and I am a not only a mentor for small technology and biofarm kind of businesses that are getting started here in the Arizona area, but also I'm a judge in uh, almost a think tank, not a think tank, a shark tank type of experience. The, the uh, Arizona Commerce Authority in the state of Arizona does a phenomenal job of uh, helping young companies with brilliant ideas, technology-oriented predominantly, to really get a toehold here. And as a result of that, Arizona is one of the fastest-growing technology states in the whole country. So I get a great deal of it. Just last week, I uh, was a judge in 13 different company pitch presentations for venture capital firms. And it's a great, great satisfaction out of that. Beyond that, I do other things. My wife is very big and I occasionally help with dog rescue. We have been in Africa working with orphans over the years with the organization called the Giving Exchange, which we love. I have worked in the White House for a period of time doing fundraising for one of the president's big initiatives, people-to-people exchange initiatives. We are uh, quite socially oriented in trying to do things for others, thanks to our ability to do that. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And now tell me about your business philosophy. Well, my business philosophy is... It has been learned over many, many years from many people far smarter and experienced than I who've sort of made the path for this generation. My my philosophy is in business that employees and associates and contractors and customers all need to be treated as volunteers. The new mass resignation we all hear about 
is to some degree a function of not treating employees like they are volunteers, which in fact they are. The 13th Amendment, uh, as we all know, uh, did away with slavery. And uh, while the, the days of autocratic leaders from the past in business really were, were very prevalent at one time, 30 years ago, 20, 30, 40 years right. ago, the landscape has changed and it should have changed. Now, the right organization structures are upside down pyramids, not right side up pyramids, where the CEOs and the C-suite executives serve their talent and their people and their clients and their customers and their vendors in better ways than they have historically. And so, I guess in a nutshell, that would be my view or my philosophy of management. There's more that can be accomplished and sustained through kindness and thought and vision than meanness and autocracy, in my view. Have you seen that change with age, with the age of the CEOs or the others coming into the C-suite? That's a great question because it brings up a fascinating situation that we're all facing right now. The baby boomers are retiring and dying. Most of the C-suite over the years, over the last 10, 15 years, have been dominated by baby boomers. Gen X is pretty small. It's not a lot of people in Gen X. And then you go to the millennials, which is huge. And so the millennials generally like to move up fast. You know, they're very antsy for a new job, a new opportunity, proving themselves. And yet many have moved up so fast that they're not quite ready for the assignments they've been given. Many are not quite ready for the C-suite. And yet there's a growing gap of mentors and senior executives who've been there for decades. They're leaving and not there to support and coach these young people that are coming up and having to fill the new holes in the C-suite mm -hmm. because of those retirements. And so what C-suite uh, advisors does in essence is bring in this highly experienced group. And a big part of our work, Patrice, is actually working with these younger people, helping them make quicker, better decisions, and therefore better results. So we do a great deal of coaching. And it's something I love. I look back to my career and say some of my proudest moments haven't been my own successes, but have been the successes of those I've had the honor of mentoring and coaching. Yeah, that's great to hear. When you're not working, what do you do for fun, Jim? Well, we have dogs. You may have heard one barking <laughs> a minute ago. So they get at least two walks a day. My wife and I take care of that and we love them. But in addition to that, I'm a competitive sailor. I've sailed for years and years and years. Now I live in Scottsdale, which is not too close to the ocean as it was when I lived in San Francisco area. I continue to, I was sailing just last weekend and absolutely love that sport. Anything to the, with the water uh, kind of attracts me. Beyond that, I love to play tennis, hike. You know, we walk a lot, try, getting used to pickleball. I don't know if you know about that. And of course, living in Scottsdale, golf is always an appeal and uh, always available. And while I consider myself pretty lousy at the sport, I do enjoy it. So uh, most of my fun activities, oh, I love to collect wine. We have a neighborhood gathering once a month, believe it or not, even through the pandemic, where we get together and share great food and, and camaraderie. So that's fun, too. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do? First off, I would quickly realize I don't need all the money in the world. 
And frankly, if I did have all the money in the world, nobody else would. So it would have no value whatsoever. But but let's just say if I had an enormous amount of money, I would look for ways to to really give back into material needs of society, not just America, uh, but around the world. The issues of hunger, child welfare, clean water, food, dealing with climate change would be some of the areas I would focus on. Uh, and I would do it in, in ways like some of my dear and former mentors have done. One, one in particular, Ray Chambers, has given so much back to the world, to the UN and through malarial work and, and that kind of really good for the world kind of activity is where I would try to spread the seeds of potential around the world. Well, this just brings me into the next question of what do you think of as success? I think success is, in a way, leaving the world a better place than that within which you were born. You may do that. Many do that singularly. But my view is to do that through a multitude, to leverage my abilities or talents or skills or desires find others that share in those drives, empowering and supporting them to do all they can be and do. The world is a better place. It's not just uplifting one person, in my view. It's uplifting far more people than one person to uplifting as many as one possibly can. Well, that's pretty far-reaching, pretty deep. Is there one thing about you that people don't know? I hope there are a lot of things about me people don't know, <laughs> frankly. Well, one thing I think most people would be shocked to learn is I was a musician in my younger years. I played the violin for, gosh, 18, Whoa. 20 years uh, quite successfully. It never really tugged at my heartstrings. It was my grandfather's real passion that I be a violinist as he was. And I became one and started very young and did my violin tour through high school and a little bit into college, but uh, then went on and did other instruments. And the musical background I have is something I have enjoyed thoroughly, but no longer I'm doing it. My hands are a little arthritic for the instruments these days. Uh, that was my next question. Are you still playing? But all right. All right. Got it. Do you have a mantra or a motto that you say to yourself to keep yourself focused? I think my mantra would be, one cannot allow the urgent to crowd out the important. And relating that to business, CEOs are caught up every day with the urgent, the crisis, the new situation. I read that Tim Cook gets up very early in the morning so that he can have private time dealing with important issues rather than the crises which come in every day. And I sort of look at it the same way as Tim Cook does, that there are important things for CEOs to do that really will transform their business, their markets, their, their clients, and their, and their output. And yet, we all struggle with the urgencies that hit us unexpectedly all day long. And so, it's really important for all of us to block out time to assure we're dealing with those very important issues, which are too easily uh, distracted from. Okay. All right, Jim, to wrap this up, how can people reach you? One, you can find my profile on LinkedIn. It's J Casino, C-A-S-C-I-N-O, as my name, or Jim Casino, under C-Suite Advisors. You can also email 
And you may email me at jcasino, C-A-S-C-I-N-O, at c-suite.co, C-O, not C-O-M. That's my email address. You can reach me there. We're a new company. We're bringing up our website probably another month or so. So that should be up and available to you at www.csuite.co. Or you can call. And my phone number is 925-989-1975. Leave a message and I'll call you back. That's great. And thank you for a great informative session. Thank you very much. I look forward to many, many more episodes here. I look forward to it too, Patrice. You're a joy to work with, and thank you for asking the tough questions along the way. Oh, and this is only the first time. Wait till we get going. (laughs) Follow or subscribe to Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino, and of course, share with colleagues and friends. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino. Click the following button below to be notified as new episodes become available. 